Baruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 91. Today's class is sponsored for the Refuah Shlema of Le'ah Bat Shafi'ah. We are in the middle of the Amidah, and we've been studying the beginning. After we say the words, Velohe Abotenu, we refer to Hashem as the God of our fathers. Then we say, Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Velohe Yaakov. We mention each one of our patriarchs by their name. Obviously, we're very proud of where we come from, and as we learned, our success is very much dependent on our connection to them. So mentioning each name is really not a surprise to us and I don't think should bother us. But why? Why do we have to say the words Elohe three times? It means Elohe, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov would be sufficient. We'd save two words. The God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. There is no need to say Elohe Abraham, the God of Abraham. Elohe Yitzhak, Velohe Yaakov. Unnecessary to repeat that word three times. It's good to know that this is not originally from the Amidah. The Amidah is actually copying the words of Hashem Himself. Because in Parashat Shemot, when Moshe Rabbeinu is sent by Hashem to be the leader of Am Yisrael, and He says, Vayomer, and when Hashem introduces himself, he says, Anochi Elohe Avicha. I am the God of your father. Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Velohe Yaakov. This is how Hashem introduces himself to Moshe Rabbeinu. Later on in that conversation, Hashem tells Moshe, Ko tomar el bene Yisrael. This is what you should say to bene Yisrael. Adonai Elohe avotechem. Hashem, the God of your fathers. Elohe Abraham. Elohe Yitzhak. Velohe Yaakov. Shelahani alechem. He sent me to you. So you see, Hashem Himself wants to be known the same way we speak to Him in the Amidah. 
So no, those words are not just words that the Anshe Keneset Agdola came up with, which anyway would be enough, but they're words that come from Hashem Himself. So the question is why? My, why must we add the word Elohe to each one of their names? We find in Parashat Toledot that Yitzhak and Rivka were not able to have a child. And the Pasuk says that Yitzhak prayed to Hashem Lenochach Ishto. He prayed opposite his wife. She says each one went into a corner and prayed. And the Pasuk says, lo Adonai. Hashem answered him. Rivka Ishto. And his wife conceived. So the obvious question is, we have two people, a father and mother, husband and wife, praying for a child. They're equally needy of a child. They both prayed. But the Pasuk points out that Hashem specifically answered him. So Rashi says, why? What about her? Rashi says, lo velo la. Torah says, he was answered, but she wasn't. And says Rashi, why not? She'en dome, because you cannot compare tefilat tzaddik ben tzaddik, the prayer of a righteous person, like Yitzhak, who is the ben, the son of a tzaddik of Abraham, letfilat tzaddik ben rasha, to a tefilah of a tzaddik, referring to Rivka, that she was the daughter of Rasha by the name of Betuel. So you have a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik praying, and a tzaddik, the son of Rasha, is praying. They're both equally needy, and they're both equally praying. Doesn't sound like their tefillot were different. But the fact that one is a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik, makes them more great and therefore more deserving of getting answered for this tefillah. Now, this is not a regular tefillah. You're talking about a woman who is barren, akara. So it's the equal of asking a miracle. It is a miracle. This is not, you know, let it rain in the morning. This is not give me parnasah today when I go to work. All, everything is a miracle, of course, but some things work within nature. To ask for a barren woman to give birth is miraculous. That doesn't work. So they're asking for something that is very, very big. You need a very big zechut, a very big tefillah. 
and Rivka and Yitzhak, it seems, were equally righteous. It doesn't say that Rivka was less righteous than Yitzhak. Then the answer would be obvious why he was answered. So they're equally righteous, equally prayed beautifully, have the same need, but because he was the son of a great person, he was higher than her. That's what Rashi says. Now the commentaries are troubled by this Rashi. It's a Midrash. I think many people who hear this Rashi are troubled. And I think the reason why we're troubled is because in our eyes, in our mind, it would seem to have been the opposite. We get very excited when we see someone who didn't have much of an upbringing and has made themselves by themselves. We see a secular Jew and five years or ten years after we meet them, they become this great righteous person. We get very excited. We can't believe our eyes. We see a righteous Jew that grew up in the home of righteous people. We also appreciate that person. But we don't get as excited. Because we assume, I mean, look where they grew up. They grew up in the house of Tzadikim. If you grew up in the house of the Gadol Ador and you became a Talmud Hacham, so, so big deal. I know, I'm sure many of you have heard of Rabbi Uri Zohar, Allah Shalom, passed away recently. But whenever we went to Israel to get Hizuk from visiting the great people in Eretz Israel, I found that he was always the top, the most beloved, the most Hizuk that we got was from that man. I could tell you stories, I don't have the time now, of people that changed in this community their life just from a visit to his living room. Who was he? He was a Talmud Hacham. Okay, we visited a lot of Talmud Hacham. What was so special about Rabbi Uri Zohar? So the answer is that he was a secular Jew who grew up with zero Torah, didn't have any values that Baruch Hashem we grew up with. He became very popular in the Israel secular society. He became a very wealthy man. He became an actor and much more. He had the life of Hollywood. And at an age, I don't know if it was 40 or 50, he changed his life. Not only did he change his life, but he changed the lives of probably hundreds of thousands of people. After learning for many years, he took it upon himself to use his gifts and his background to really change the face of Israel. The movement of Teshuvah was in large part due to his effort. Till today, the organization that he began is saving tens of thousands of children. So you sit with him and you change your life because you look at the man 
and you realize he's a self-made person. And it just makes you elevated. You could sit with a man just like him who grew up in a religious home, no less of a tzaddik. His words aren't any less important, but it doesn't excite us the same. Because we appreciate someone who is self-made, who came from nowhere and built himself. So if I were to ask you, I was to ask myself, who would we think is greater? I think we would say that Yitzhak, who grew up in the house of Abraham, is definitely beautiful, it's great, but you can't compare to Rivka, who grew up in the house of Betuel. We would say Rivka is greater. So if we were given the choice and we had to answer one of their prayers, we would say, of course, Rivka, not Yitzhak. And here, Rashi and the Torah are telling us opposite of what we would have thought. It's always good to know what we would have thought before the Torah. Not because our opinion matters that much. Because when you think something, and then Torah says something else, you go back and say, well, why did I think that? So where was my mistake? If we don't look to find the mistakes that we made, we'll never really learn. So the reason why we would have thought Rivka was on top is obvious. So why does the Torah see it opposite of the way we see it? So there is a pretty, a pretty big challenge in growing up in the house of a great person. That challenge is called the desire for independence. Every human has a desire to do things their way. When we're little, we easier follow others. But as we get older, especially we hit 12, 13, we feel a drive to be independent. We don't like to be told what to do. Even if we would do it ourselves, but if somebody tells us to do it, already we have a reason not to do it. Because we don't like to feel like we're following somebody else's script. We don't like to feel that we're somebody else's tagging behind. We want to be our own independent people. You'll find it all the time by teenagers. They don't like to be told even the most logical things by the people who care about them the most. They don't want to hear it. And very often when they hear it once and twice and three times, very often they will go opposite even if it's something that is good for them. And even if on their own they would have thought to do the same thing. But because they heard it so many times, they rebel. They rebel against their parents. They rebel against their teachers. They rebel against people who care for them. Because they can't stand being a follower to somebody else's idea. They want to find their own niche in this world. This is not accidental. It's not their fault. Hashem made the world that way. He made humans with this strong desire to be independent people. Because we're not supposed to be followers. 
we're not supposed to just give our life to somebody else to live and we just follow behind. Humans are created in the image of God. We were created Betselem Elohim, which means we have a godliness in us that we must choose for ourselves. Following someone else is not why we came into this world. So when someone feels the pressure from a religious home, especially if it's even more than the average home, especially if his father and mother are super righteous, which you would think it's so natural, it's so easy. If your father and mother are Abraham and Sarah, how bad could you come out? How off could you be? But the answer is, if you desire independence, there is something inside of you that tells you, I don't want to follow these people. Not because they're wrong. I just don't want to follow. I want to be my own person. So there is a very strong desire inside every one of us to find independence. And sometimes it comes at the cost of our own good. Sometimes we, we, we do away with something that would make our lives better, but because we want to be independent, we go the wrong way. It's a terrible mistake that we make. And I'm going to tell you what a mistake is. Because if you ask me, what's the mistake? I thought God wants it like this. No, no. Let me, be, let me be very clear. The Creator doesn't want us to rebel against what's good for us. That's silly. Let me give you an example. A father goes over to his son and says, listen to me. I don't want to ever see you smoke. And the kid never smoked before. For some reason, the father got into his head that his son might smoke. So he went crazy. And he didn't speak to him the right way. Whatever it is, you could imagine. He says, you better not smoke. I don't want to ever see you smoke. You know how the kid walks away from that? I'm smoking. <laughs> I wasn't going to smoke, but I'm going to smoke now. Why? Because he's rebelling. Because now he's not, before he wasn't smoking, because he didn't want to smoke. But now he's not going to smoke because his father said that means I'm not independent. I don't like that. So how am I going to show my independence? I'm going to rebel against smoking. I'm going to go and smoke. So part of what this young man or young lady has done is good. And part of it is not good. The rebellious part is good. But the foolishness is that he rebelled against the wrong thing. Which means, is it good to smoke or not? Oh, it's not good to smoke. But it's also not good to smoke because your father said. It's not good to smoke because you should know it's not good to smoke. So instead of rebelling against the one who told you, in other words, when your father tells you don't do something, you shouldn't do it just because he said you should say, well, of course, when you're older and you understand better. I'm not talking about little kids. But if your father tells you something, at some point you're supposed to do it 
because you understand. If you're still doing it because he told you, then there's something wrong. Let me give you a silly example. If somebody would tell an 18-year-old who's standing by a red light when cars are speeding in both directions, so tell me, why are you standing by the light? What's wrong? Why don't you go? He said, listen, my father told me when I was three years old, he held my hand, he pleaded with me, he said, please, son, when cars are coming and it's a red light, don't cross. So, I follow my father. My father said, don't cross, I don't cross. Now that person needs help. If you're not crossing the street at 18 because your father told you, something wrong with you. When you were three, you're supposed to follow what your father said. But when you're 12, 13, you're supposed to understand what your father said and do it yourself because you understand it. So you're not supposed to rebel against the... Imagine, imagine a person who's 13. Now he understands about lights and red lights and cars. And so you know something? My father said not to cross. I'm going to cross. Because <laughs> I want to show that I'm independent. That's foolish. You don't show independence by doing something that's going to damage you. You show independence by saying to yourself, I'm no longer doing it because my father did I love my father. I respect my father. But now I'm of age that I could do it for myself. So you have to rebel against doing it because somebody else told you. But you shouldn't rebel against the thing itself. There's no reason to rebel against smoking. It's not good for you. So instead of doing it because your father telling you not to, do it because you understand better. Hashem put in us a rebellious attitude not to do the wrong things. We make a mistake. Again, we get angry, so we rebel. What do we take it out on? On smoking, on drinking. No, no, that, that's a mistake. The rebellion is meant that you shouldn't do it because they told you. Now you're older. Now you understand better. Now do it because you decided to do it. That's where the rebellion should be. At some point in your life, you were only following because you were little and immature. And at some point, you start growing and growing and you start taking back your decisions. You don't want to be somebody else's follower your whole life. You got to be your own person. That's the right way for rebellion. It should be rebellion against following but not rebellion on what you're following if it's good for you. Now, if your father told you to smoke and that's what you're doing for 10 years because you had a very bad father, so then the rebellion would be not to smoke. That's okay. We understand that. But the rebellion doesn't have to be on the thing itself. The rebellion needs to be on your independence. You need to become independent as you grow older in life. It's a sign of maturity and a sign of greatness. But unfortunately, as you can imagine, growing up in a home of very high righteous parents, it could be very, very difficult for a young person. And instead of using this information, if they came to this class, they would understand themselves better. Instead of rebelling to become independent, very often their anger makes them rebel against the very things that are good for them. 
and that they would have chosen themselves. But they got angry why someone is telling them to follow, and they rebel against the wrong thing. That's a challenge that every person who grows up in a righteous home has. They have to deal with that. Now, many are successful and find their rebellion in their independence and in their righteousness. They start crossing streets because they realize now, not because their father told them that was good when they were little, and some, they start crossing the street when cars are coming and they destroy their lives. There are plenty of people like that that hurt themselves because they rebelled against the wrong thing. Instead of rebelling against the commander, they rebelled against the command. The command, there's nothing wrong with it. But you just have to find your independence. So bottom line is, Yitzhak Avinu grows up in a home of righteous people. It's not so easy for him to go ahead and follow. But yet, he does it. And that is a great value that the Torah gives him. Tzadik ben Tzadik. Your father is great and you follow along and you become great too and you don't rebel against your father. Beautiful. That's on a simple level. Why being a Tzadik ben Tzadik is not so easy. But there's actually a much deeper level which is more appropriate for someone like Yitzhak Avinu. There is something in the world called a mathil. Mathil means a starter. A mathil is someone who is original. Someone who finds a new path. The biggest example in our history of a mathil is of course Abraham Avinu. Abraham Avinu, he grew up without a father that taught him. He didn't have a yeshiva. He didn't have a rabbi. He didn't have friends to lean on. He didn't have anybody. So how did Abraham Avinu become this giant of a human being? The Baal Chesed that he became. The Chokhmah that he had. The leadership. He changed the world, Abraham Avinu. Abraham Avinu was a man who changed people's lives. He, some people make shoes. Some people make tables. Some people make chairs. He made people. He made people. He changed people's lives. Abraham Avinu changing people's lives? Where did he learn that from? You know, when you see someone doing something extraordinary, usually you say, where'd they come from? Who taught them that? That's not normal. Abraham was not normal. He did something that was extraordinary. Where did he learn that from? The answer is nobody. He was a matheil. He started a new path. Now, by the way, in parentheses, in life, sometimes we have opportunities to start a new path. It could be a new path for ourselves. It could be a new path for our family. It could be a new path for our community. It could be a new project that our community needs. No one did that before. There are times in life, it's not something you could predict. You can't decide to do something new. It's not like that. The, the situation has to present itself. 
For example, you can't just decide to open a new shul because you want to do something new. That's silly. If there's already a shul and it's servicing people, you don't need something new. Oh, you have a certain niche, you have a certain people that you try. Okay, then the opportunity comes. Not every time you want to do something new is the opportunity there. Newness is something Hashem has to give you. But when the opportunity is there, usually new things are scary. Doing something new is scary. You do something that has been done for a thousand years, it's easy, it's safe, it's predictable. You know what you're getting yourself into. When it's new, it's scary. What's going to be? What's going to happen? One of the reasons why new things are scary, extra scary, is because new things have tremendous siyata dishmaya. When a person is ready to do something new, of course, for a good reason, like we mentioned, a needed reason, there's tremendous help from Hashem when you do something new. Because it's so great to do something new, there's something that has to be so scary to prevent you to do it. So every time you have a chance to do something new in your life, again, it could be personal new, it could be family new, it could be community new, it could be Klal Yisrael new. If there is such an opportunity that comes up, you never know when it'll come, but if you do have such an opportunity to do something new in your life, automatically you're going to be shaking and know that the reason why you're shaking, again, not all new things are good. I want to make sure. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's good. But if it's new and it's good, you're going to start shaking. The reason why you're going to start shaking is because there is tremendous success and siyata dishmaya Hashem helps tremendously those who do something new. And because there's such power in what you're about to do, there's going to be a strong yetzer hara that you shouldn't do it. So you're going to be nervous. You're going to be scared. Abraham Avinu was that matheel. If you open the Rambam in Hilchot Avodah Zarah, the Rambam over there discusses the origins of Abraham Avinu and how he started. And he says the same word again and again. He says, He started to think while he was still a young man. He started to think day and night. You know, it wasn't just a, a fleeting thought. He took it seriously. He started to think in a serious way. There were people against him. Of course, when you start something new, there's going to be something against you. People are not used to seeing that. People are going to question you. People are going to ask you, why are you looking to change my lifestyle? Why are you looking to change those people? They're my friends. You're going to get some friction when you start doing something new. He started... Lehashiv Teshuvot, how to answer back the people of Ur Kasdim and to explain to them what he's doing and why it's important 
And he started to teach people about the one Creator and what they're supposed to do for him. And he started to stand and to speak in a loud voice throughout the world to teach them there is a Creator to this world. Notice that word again that Ambam says five times. What was special about Abraham Avinu? He was a beginner. He started. He was one man, not against his family, not against himself, one man against the entire world. There was nobody with him. Nobody taught him before, and no one was with him when he started. He started by himself, and he believed in what he was doing, and he went full force. Of course, in the end, he didn't end by himself. Happens to be, I mentioned this once before, that one of the, it's probably the most popular figure in the history of the world is Abraham Avinu. He didn't end by himself, but he started by himself. He had tremendous siyata dishmaya. That was Abraham Avinu. And that is every one of us when we have a chance to start. When you start, not only is there siyata dishmaya, but there's also excitement. You know, starting in Abraham Avinu life is exciting. You're fighting the world. You're going to teach everybody. You're going to change things. When you do something new, there is excitement in your heart and it shows in everything that you do. You become a passionate person. Both from inside of you and because of the pressure that's coming from outside of you. The pressure outside turns you into more passionate. That is Abraham the starter. Then you get to Yitzhak, poor Yitzhak. Being a starter is awesome. But if you grow up in the house of Yitzhak, of Abraham, there's nothing to start. Everything has already been thought about. Everything has already been taught. Everything is there for you. This is the lane you're supposed to take. This is the way you're supposed to look. That's how you eat. That's how you work. That's, that's it. So Abraham created the lane. Yitzhak can't create anything. All that excitement of being a starter, all that passion of starting something and doing something new, newness is exciting. Yitzhak wasn't able to become a starter because his father already did it all. But if we really want to make it in life on any level, we must become a starter. Yitzhak will not succeed as a follower. He needs to be a starter. Before we spoke about Yitzhak's challenge of going against Abraham, that would be the worst case scenario. Growing up in the house of Abraham and rebelling against Abraham, worst case scenario. Second would be just following Abraham, not as a starter, as a follower. 
not great. Being a follower in life isn't great either. Is it possible for Yitzhak Avinu to be a starter? So I'm sure everyone would say, no. How could he be a starter? If this table is set, you can't set it again. That's it. It's done. But that's not true. Because even if you grew up in the house of Abraham and the lanes were already set for you, you have to create the lanes for yourself. You have to be a starter even though you're not starting. You have to make it yours even though it was given to you, which is harder. For Abraham to have the passion of a starter is natural because he's really a starter. So all of what's happening in his life automatically make him excited about what he's doing. But Yitzhak needs to, from the inside, be passionate about being his own person, even though he's just following. It's a gevura, it's a certain koach that Yitzhak has to manufacture his own excitement as a starter, even though he is just following Yitzhak Avinu. Which means that Yitzhak, the Mathil, is the greatest success for Yitzhak. Taking what Abraham gave and not following it, but making it yours is a very big difference. There's following and then there's making it yours. If you follow, you're a follower. If you make it yours, you're a starter. And you'll soon see that this applies in so many areas of life that you can't imagine how much this is relevant to marriage, to relationships with each other and with the Creator. It's not about Yitzhak and Abraham. I'm bringing this just as a, as a stage. Becoming a starter when things aren't new is one of the great challenges of life. To be a starter when it's a real start so for Rivka, to be a starter, easy. She really is starting. It's everything she grew up against. She's fighting. When you're fighting, you're starting. But Yitzhak doesn't need to be a starter. But he does become a starter. That is a great triumph of a human being. And that is why Yitzhak ben Avraham is greater than Rivka. Bat Betuel, because although they both had the excitement, they both had the mathil, but she had it easier because it was really a fresh start on the outside. Yitzhak had to make it a fresh start from the inside. Externally, nobody was fighting him. Externally, everything was happening the way it's supposed to happen. He had to have the givura from the inside to make it his. That is why the Pasuk says in Parashat Behukotai talks about a devastating rebuke of Am Yisrael 
And Hashem comforts us with the following words. Vezacharti et beriti Yaakov. Hashem says that even during the terrible rebuke, I will remember my covenant with Yaakov. Ve'af et beriti Yitzhak. And even my covenant with Yitzhak. Ve'af et beriti Avraham eskor. And even my covenant with Avraham, I will remember. So obviously anyone reading this Pasuk realizes that there's something wrong. It's out of order. When did we ever mention Yaakov, Yitzhak, Avraham? That's what the Pasuk says. We always say it, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and for good reason. Avraham goes first. Why is he mentioned first? Why is Yaakov mentioned first and Avraham mentioned last? Perhaps the answer is, and Rashi alludes to it, that Yaakov Avinu, even though not only he had Avraham to follow, he had Yitzhak also to follow. He had nothing new in his life. At least Yitzhak had something new. He had the new to follow Avraham. That was new. Yitzhak had nothing, Yaakov, nothing new. Everything was set already for generations for him. But the Pasuk says that Yitzhak, Yaakov himself, was his own man. Even without Avraham, even without Yitzhak, he wasn't hanging on them to be great. He connected to them, he learned from them, but he became independently great. Not because he was the son of Yitzhak and the grandson of Abraham was Yaakov special. Yaakov was special by himself because he was Yaakov. That's why he's listed in the end. Don't think the greatness of Yitzhak is because he came from Abraham and Yaakov because he came from Bodham. No. Vezacharti et beriti Yaakov. Yaakov himself became his own person using the greatness that he was given, but he became his own. He crossed the street on his own, not because his father told him. I don't pray because my father told me. That's what I did when I was eight. I pray because I need to pray. You know how many people follow things because their father told them, their grandfather told them? That's beautiful to learn from your father and grandfather. But at some point, you got to make it yours. You don't learn Torah because your mother learned. You don't cook kosher because your mother cooked kosher. You don't raise your children this way because your mother told you. You learn from your mother. But it's got to be yours. You're your own person. Pasuk says, Yaakov. Yaakov himself was great because he was great on his own. And Yitzhak on his own. And of course, Abraham. That's what makes Yitzhak ben Abraham so great. To be so special as a starter, even though you're following. To take what you learned and to make it yours. And live with that excitement of a matheel. The truth is, whatever a person does, out of his natural hainuch, hainuch means the way he was raised, whether it's the hainuch in the house, whether it's the hainuch of 
the family, whether it's the chinuch of school, or the chinuch of his rabbis, or the chinuch of his friends, or society, I'm calling that all chinuch. The way a person was molded, whatever you act based on the way you're molded, for the good or the bad, it doesn't mean much. Or for the bad, you're hurting yourself. And for the good, it's still not adding up if you're only doing things because that's the way you were molded. It's not enough to act just because we were molded that way. You had the greatest parents in the world. Beautiful. You had the greatest chinuch in the world. Great. It doesn't matter. That's still not what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be that, but on your own. Acquire it for yourself. The true madrega. The true level of success in a person are measured by the things that they do independently. Again, I don't mean independently do your own thing. I already addressed that in the beginning. It means that whatever you're doing, even if it's an exact copy, but it should be yours. Pray because it's you. Learn Torah because it's you. Everything you do, don't don't do things because that's the way you grew up. Unfortunately, it's very common that we keep Shabbat because that's the way we grew up. Someone asked me, why do you keep Shabbat? It's the way I grew up. That's what I was taught. That's the 18-year-old saying, my father told me when I was three. That's not okay for an adult that grew up and says, I do because that's the way I grew up. It's not enough. That doesn't make us special at all. Let me give you an example of that in the Torah where this is clearly highlighted. We know Abraham Avinu was a master of kindness. To ten chesed Abraham. Abraham's chesed was not just a regular kindness. It was even chesed with mesirut nefesh. He went to fight a war just to save his nephew. And one of his followers, his close followers, was his nephew Lot. Lot, according to the Zohar, was so much in tune with this midah of Hesed, the Zohar says that his daughter, when they were in Sedom, gave food to a poor person which was illegal in Sodom. And they killed her with a terrible, terrible way they killed her. This is what Zohar says. So you understand what kind of person he was. His daughter is risking her life and actually died just to help poor people. And you don't need the Zohar for this. The Pasuk says clearly that when the guests or the angels that came into Sedom, the Pasuk says they wanted to sleep in the street. They know it's illegal in Sedom to have guests in your home. Pasuk says, Vayifsar bam me'od. He kept pushing them. The word me'od in our dialect means more than a little. But in the Torah, the word me'od means something beyond imagination. 
He didn't just tell them, come. He kept pushing me'od so much. He pushed them to come into his house. Again, your daughter already got killed. You're living in Sedom. People are coming in. They don't want to come in. They want to sleep in the street. They don't want to put you in trouble. And what are you doing? You're not just saying, please come in. You're begging them to come in. You understand what kind of man this was? The kind of chesed this was? And after he kept going after them, they came to him. And sure enough, before they went to sleep, the pasuk says, they found out. Here's this man, Lot, taking in guests. Who does he think he is? They came and they surrounded Nasabu al Could you imagine? They surrounded the home. Minna'ar ve'adzaken. Who came to this? The entire city. Young and old. Even the elders got out of bed. This was such a big deal in Sedom that somebody went against the rules of the city and even the elders got out of bed at night to go surround the house of this man that did such a terrible thing. Kol Ha'am, the entire city came against him. Vayikre'u Elot, and from the outside they're calling Lot. Vayomru Lot, they said to him, Ayeha Anashim, where are the men that came to you? Hotsi'am Elenu, Hotsi'am Elenu. Take them out now. They weren't going to treat them very well when they take them out. Pasuk says, lot He opened the door quickly. He closed the door quickly behind him so they wouldn't walk in. And he says, please, my brothers, please don't hurt these people. They came to me. I'm protecting them. It's not right. I'll give you my two daughters. I don't know. I'm not sure what the heshbon of that is. Okay, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if that's recommended. He says, I'll here, take my daughters. But you understand what kind of mesirut nefesh this is. He's risking his life. His daughter died already. And now he's willing to give two more daughters just so he can help these guests and they shouldn't get hurt. Do what you want with my daughters. Please don't touch these men. They came to my home. I have to protect them. They weren't so happy with that. They told them, come over here. You're lucky we'll let you live over here. You're, you're a resident here. You're not from the place. You came to live here. You became the, the judge over here. We're going to do worse to you than them. They're going to kill him also. And they broke down the door. They came close to breaking the door. At that point, the angels, they grabbed him and they brought him inside the house and they closed the door. And they, they blinded the people on the outside. They threw some blinding chemical, who knows what. And they couldn't find the door. Could you, do you realize? I'm not sure. Listen, I know we're all Baalei Chesed. We all do a lot of kindness. 
I don't think anybody here would come even to 10% of what is going on here. Lot was clearly a student of Abraham Avinu in his kindness. What's shocking is the following. So when he was saved from Sedom, when it was destroyed later on, the Pasuk says, Vayhi, and it was, Beshahet Elohim et Arehakikar, when Hashem came to destroy these cities, Vayiskor Elohim et Avraham, Hashem remembered Avraham. Now, Avraham didn't live in Sedom. But he remembered Avraham. And because he remembered Avraham, Lot was saved in the zechut of Avraham. Says Rashi, which zechut? What did Lot do that he had the zechut to be saved from a city that's being destroyed? Says Rashi Shalom, Niskar Shehaya Lot. Hashem remembered that Lot was with Sarah and Abraham. Of course, she was his wife. Sarah, Abraham's wife. And when they went to Egypt, Abraham said about Sarah that she's my sister. Lot knows she's not a sister. Lot knows she's his wife. But yet, he wasn't an informant. He didn't go to the authorities in Egypt and say, by the way, this guy, it's not his sister, it's his wife. He didn't say. That's why, therefore, listen to these words, therefore, that's why Hashem protected him. Now let's think for a second. This man is risking his life and his family for hachnasat or him, for chesed. We know how big chesed is. And now comes the time to save him from disaster. What's the merit? The Torah just told us the story of what he did, but that didn't save him. What saved him? Because he kept his mouth shut. Because he wasn't an informant. You know how terrible an informant is? We have a special beracha in the Amida, cursing informants. We don't curse anybody. But laminim vela malshinim vela mosrim al tahitigva. There should be no hope for people who go to authorities and tell about somebody else's life. Oh, you know what that guy did? You know how much money he made? You know what he did? Someone who does that, we have a beracha for them in the Amidah. Al-tehi tigva. They should have no hope. You know what that is? No hope. Shover oivim umachni aminim. A special beracha in the Amidah for people who do such a horrible thing. An informant to the government? Who does that? Could you imagine? That after you live 120 years, they get up at a funeral and say, you know, I'll tell you something great about this person. He never went to the government. That's it? That's the great thing? That's all you could find? So if you heard that, you know that you're not dealing with such a great person. If the only thing that could praise you is that you didn't inform the government 
about other people and snitch on them, so then you realize you're not much of a person. Why did Hashem change? Why did he save Lot? Because he wasn't an informant. What happened to the kindness? It's a big question. The great rabbi, Renaissance Svi Finkel, Lava Shalom, from Slavatka says the most beautiful thing. This is so beautiful, we have to just internalize it. He's, of course, the act of kindness is a hundred times more than keeping your mouth shut and not being a snitch. Of course, what's the question? He says, but the chesed that he did was a copy of Abraham Avinu. It wasn't from himself. It was a copy. He asked Lot, why do you do this? Abraham told me. When he didn't open his mouth, he didn't learn that from anybody. He did it on his own. Says the great rabbi, even something small that you do on your own is worth more than the greatest act if you're just a copy machine. A copy machine doesn't give the same quality, even in something huge. So when you came to save Lot, they were looking for something that he did, something that was his own, something he was a matheel. It could have been kindness, it could have been kindness, if it became his, but he never made it his. He just copied Abraham his whole life. So the only thing they found was, oh, he wasn't an informant. Okay, we'll save him because of that. That's the difference between doing things on your own or just being a copycat. In fact, that was one of Abraham Avinu's biggest fears. Our father Abraham, and it's befitting someone of his greatness to worry about this. After today's class, maybe we also will worry about it. Not only for ourselves, for our children. This has so much implication, not just for ourselves. When you raise a child, you have to remember that goal is not that he should be your pet. Goal is not to have him do what you do. The goal is to have him do the right thing that you do, but that he does, that she does, to be independently doing it. Avraham Avinu was worried about this nekuda, this point, where? So when Havram, before he had a child, the Pasuk says in Parashat Lech Lecha, Vayomer Avram, he was still Avram. He says, Adonai Elohim, Hashem says, Matitenli, what are you going to give me? Ve'ani holech ariri, I have no children. Uben meshek beti, Ben Meshek is the person who feeds my home, the one who takes care of my home. Who? Damesek Eliezer. Meaning, who do I have here left over after me? I have Damesek Eliezer. Damesek Eliezer. What does Damesek mean? Damascus? Eliezer from Damascus? Is that what he's saying? What is he saying? Damesek Eliezer. And even if he came from Damascus, what does that have to do with this? 
Just say. And the only one I have left is a guy in my house. His name is Eliezer. Why are you calling him Damesek Eliezer? Says Rashi, Allah Shalom. Damesek, that word is actually an acronym for Damesek Dole Umashke. Dalet Dole Mashke. Damesek. He's Dole. He is a man who draws, like when you draw from the well, he draws and he gives to drink to others. Mitorato shel rabo le'aherin. Eliezer was a student of Abraham Avinu. He would draw from the teachings of Abraham and he would be mashkeh. He would give others to drink from the Torah and the values and guidance of Abraham Avinu. Dam mesek dole umashkeh. So Abraham is telling Hashem, what do I have left? I have this guy, Damesek Eliezer. That's all I have left. But the question is, Damesek is a good thing. If you want to say, I have nothing left, just say, I have this guy, Eliezer. Damesek makes him sound even greater. Why is that so bad? Why is he mentioning that here? Why is he saying, all I have left is Damesek Eliezer? The Damesek part is good. Our rabbis give a beautiful answer. <coughs> that those words were not good. They were nice, but not what he wanted. He was dole. When you're dole, when you take water from the well and you give someone from that water, it's the same water. It never becomes yours. The water of the well becomes the water that you deliver. Eliezer, he learned from Abraham and he delivered exactly what Abraham gave him to others. Where in reality, he's supposed to have taken what Abraham taught him, made it his Torah, like the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Ki im betorat Adonai hefzo. A great person wants the Torah of Hashem. But he makes it his Torah. It becomes not something that I was taught. It becomes something that I acquired. Of course I, I learned it from the right source. Of course I knew where to learn it from. We don't mean independence, God forbid, of just finding your own path. I don't mean that way. We learned about that already. But after you find the right address, now you got to go take it and make it yours. But Eliezer was Damesek. Eliezer would take from Abraham and deliver it as is to others. He wouldn't make it his Torah. Abraham tells Hashem, what did you leave me with? This is all I have left. Damesek Eliezer. I have a copier that's going to be after me. They're going to leave copies to teach others. You haven't left me with anything. Hashem tells him, no, no, no. You're going to have. He says to him, Lo He's not going to take you. He's not going to inherit you. Ki the one that's coming from you. Who You're going to have a child. But now Abraham is worried. Wait, the child could also be a copier. Could also be a copycat. I mean, Eliezer is not a bad guy. He's doing good things. He's just a copier. Abraham says, What's the value? 
having someone copying me. That's not what I want. So Hashem tells him, come on, let me show you. He takes him outside. And he says, look at, this, look at the heaven. Look at the sky. He says, look at the... Go count the stars. He tells him, Your children will be like that. Some explain, what's like that? Like the stars. You know what's unique about the stars? The stars have their own light. It's not like the moon that gets light from the sun. The stars have their own or their own light. Your son, your children will not be Damesek. Your children will be like Kohavim. They will have their own light to give unto others. A person must always evaluate, especially as they grow bigger and older and more mature and wiser, to ask themselves, why do I do what I do? It has from two areas. Sometimes you grew up not so great. Maybe your parents weren't so educated. Maybe they didn't go to yeshiva. Maybe they didn't had a difficult time, had a bitterness somewhere. Who knows what? Maybe you didn't grow up with the best shalom bayit in your home. Maybe you didn't have the right Shabbat. Maybe you didn't. Now you're older. So you're just going to continue what they did because they did it? That's the way they kept Shabbat? That's what I do? That doesn't make sense. So clearly when it's that way, a person needs to become independent. But the Hidush today is even if you were living with the Gedole Hador, the greatest people in generation, it's also not appropriate just to follow. There has to come a time when we go from Damesek to become a Kochav. It's so much more meaningful when the Shabbat is ours, when the tefillah is ours, when the learning is ours, when the mitzvot are ours, when the kashrut is ours. You could live your whole life keeping every mitzvah and the Torah beautifully, but you could be damesek. You could be a copy of your father and mother. It's not bad, not terrible, but it's not what Abraham would want for a child. You would be a disappointment. You would be a domestic child. You would be a person that just took and copied. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And by the way, our rabbis were aware of this. That's how they taught their students. Listen to this famous Mishnah in Perkei Avot. It's a Mishnah that everybody knows. Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, the great rabbi, the great Tana, he gathers his students. He had five students, five great students. He gathers them and he says to them, Tse'u go out and see, means go and study. Tse'u, not in the streets. Tse'u means understand, go in your mind and start thinking. And figure out, Ezohi derech yeshara adam. What is the most essential road a person needs to get on? A lot of important things in life. But what's the most important? If you had to choose one, it would be that one. So they're all thinking, what's the most important? Imagine your child asks you that. Mom, I trust you. Dad, I trust you. Tell me the one thing that I, I will keep it dearly. I will hold on to this, what you tell me, forever. What is it that you can tell me? I promise one thing. I'm going to give you one. 
Tell me one thing and I'm going to hold on to it for the rest of my life. What would you tell them? It's a big question. What a responsibility. So they came back and they tell their rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer goes first. He says, Ayin Tova. Good eye. See the good in the world. See the good in people. Don't be negative. Be a positive person. Take that with you for the rest of your life. That will lead you to all the good. Next up, Rabbi Yehoshua. He says, Haver Tov. A good friend is what you need to make it in life. Now notice, even if one one over the other, but they're all awesome. The other one, Rabbi Yehoshua says, sorry, that was Rabbi Yehoshua. Rabbi Yosef says, Shachen Tov. A good neighbor. Even more than a good friend. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Haro'et Nolad. One who's able to see ahead. The last one's Rabbi El Azar. He says, Lev Tov. A good heart, which I'm not going to explain today, whatever that is. Comes there, Rabbi, in the Mishnah. Amar Lahem. This was a test he's giving them. He says to them, Ro'e Ani. He says, The way I see it, I see it. El Azar ben Arach he says, the last one is the right answer. Lev Tov, that's the one. He says, in that one, includes everything else that you have. Okay? It's a nice Mishnah to study one day. That's the end of the Mishnah. Everyone knows this Mishnah. What people don't realize is the next Mishnah. It says the Mishnah, he says to them again, comes the next day, he says, guys, sit down. I have a question for you. Go out and you should see for yourself. What's not a good way? Like what's really something to stay away from in this world? So they come back. Rabbi Eliezer, he says, the one he said before, he says, Ayin Tova. Now he says, you know what the worst thing is? Ayin Ra'ah. Well, naturally, if the best thing is Ayin Tova. The worst thing is ayin ra'ah, having a negative eye. Rabbi Yoshua, he said before, a good friend. Guess what he said? Haver ra. Rabbi Yoseh, he said before, shachento. Guess what he says? Shachen ra. Rabbi Shimon says what he says. I don't have time to explain it today. And Rabbi El Azar, guess what he says? Lev ra. Comes there, Rabbi, Amar lahem. Ro'e Ani, guess who won? The last one. I see his words are better than all of them, all of yours. He says, Levra is the winner. That is the worst thing. Big problem with this story is, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten the test ahead of time. You, Baruch Hashem, you're all very honest people. But sometimes in school they get the test ahead of time. I don't know how they get it. It's not important. But they see the test before they gave the test. Now, if you see the test before you gave the test and you still fail, then you're a hamor. <laughs> it's one thing to fail and you didn't see the test. But after they gave you the test and you still fail the test, you have to check, not your honesty only, you got to check your, your brain. What is going on with the story? 
Their rabbi came on Monday and gave them a quiz. He gave them time, they gave the answer, and he gave them the right answer. Lev Tov. Done. Comes the next day, he's going to have a new quiz. Happens to be the same question, just in the opposite order. And they get it all wrong again. What's with these rabbis? Don't they have uh, uh, sechel? That they're able to understand? The, yesterday he gave us the answer, so obviously this is the answer. They went and they said the same thing again. After he told them the day before, the right answer. How could that be? It's a big question. You know what the answer is? I saw a beautiful answer. Look at the words that he told them the second time. Tse'u ur'u. Why does he keep saying that? Tse'u, go out and see. What does that mean, go out and see? Rabbi Yohanan Mezagai is telling them, I don't want you to give me the answer that I'm looking to hear. I want you to look in your mind and I want you to tell me what you really think. I gave you the answer yesterday, but maybe you didn't yet internalize it. Maybe you still don't feel it's real. So I want you to go back again and I want you to think about it again and tell me what you think. Very often, when you teach people, they like to give you the answer that you know, they know you want to hear. They already know what you want. So they give you the answer. That's not the way you learn. The way you learn is you give the answer that you think is the answer. They already saw from their rabbi, say, ooh, or, ooh, don't give me the answer I'm looking for because I gave it to you yesterday. I want you to look again inside of you and see honestly, what's your opinion about this? How do you see it? And they came back and said, well, this is the way we see it. We still see it that way. And I guess he had to teach them more and more so they could see it a different way. But the point is, you see that this great man understood that copying the answer doesn't make you special. It has to be your answer. So go out and look for your answer. Make it yours. Learn it. Internalize it. But it should become your answer. The Gemaran Sanhedrin says that even someone whose parents left him a Sefer Torah, even if your father's left you a Sefer Torah, you have to write your own Sefer Torah. But why? It's their Sefer Torah. I inherited my parents' Sefer Torah. Why do I have to write another Sefer Torah? It's the same Sefer Torah. The answer is because it's got to be yours. It's not only about a Sefer Torah. It's about your whole life. It has to be yours. They can teach you. They can show you. You can have all the Hakkarata Tovtan and you should. And you should even follow and learn from their ways. But it has to be your Sefer Torah. Your life has to be yours in all areas. That's what is special about a great person. And this is what David Melech was always concerned about. Look at what he says in Tehillim. He says, Ahad sha'alti. He says, I have one thing that I ask for from Hashem. 
I always look for it. I want to be close to Hashem. I want to be in the Bet Midrash. I want to feel His presence in my life. What a life to feel always connected to the Creator of the world. All my days, I want to be in His presence. That I could see the sweetness of the Creator in this world. And I should visit him. So they ask, you just said, Shifti bevet Hashem. You just said, I want to sit with him. Shifti means you sit there and you're there, kol yeme hayai. So you're sitting now all your life. That's what your wish is. Then you say, and I also want to visit. How could you visit somewhere where you're sitting all the time? It's like saying, I live by my parents all the time and I visit sometimes. What does that mean? It doesn't make any sense. How could you live there all the time and visit also? Not possible. But David Melech was worried that when he would sit in the house of Hashem, that relationship would get stale. It would get old. When things get old, then you become a copy. A copy of who? A copy of yesterday. There's different types of copies in the world. You could be copying your father. You could be copying your mother. You could be copying your rabbi. You could be copying society. Or, just as bad, you could be copying yourself. And if you ask me, what does that mean to copy myself? Copy myself? Yeah. You know why this morning I prayed? Because I prayed yesterday. And you know why I prayed yesterday? Because I always pray. You know why I kept Shabbat this week? Because I kept it last week. And why did you keep it last week? Well, I kept it the week before. You know why I do this mitzvah? That's what I do all the time. Why did you come to class today? Because that's what I do. That means you're a copy of yourself. That's already harder to do. Even to be a copy of yourself is not the way it's supposed to be. When a person does something in life, you have to be a matheel. We learned about that before when it came to father and son. Even though you're a son of a great person, be a matheel, be your own person. But guess what? You have to be a matheel in everything you do in life. Never do things because that's what you always do then you're not a matheel. When you're not a matheel, if today I pray because I came to pray today, it's a whole different prayer than if I prayed because I always pray. Being a copy of yesterday's me takes away all the hathala and takes away the siyata, the shmaya, and takes away the enthusiasm and the energy. David Melech was worried that as he would sit in the house of Hashem every day, by the second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, tenth day, it's going to become his place. In the beginning when he's going to come, it's going to be so exciting to be in the house of Hashem. Wow, it's awesome. I can sit here all day? Yeah, great. Second day, awesome. By the fifth day, I, I, that's my house. What does that mean? I live here. And you should know, this point takes away most of our happiness in life that is available to us.
we're talking about simha, I don't know if there is one point that makes all the difference in simha than this one. Think about it. Do you enjoy your home? Well, you probably enjoyed it the first day. It's a new house. You were a matheel in your house. When you start something, you enjoy it. It's beautiful. Did you enjoy your house the second day? Probably. What about a month later? That's, well, no, it's my house already. It's the house I was in yesterday. It's the same house I was in last week. And then you become a copy of yesterday. And you stop enjoying your home. Because let me tell you about the word simha. The word simha describes something very specific. We translate it's happiness, but it describes something very specific. It describes a person who is doing something new. When you do something new, it brings you simha. For example, you're getting married, new simha. You have a child, new simha. You make money for the first time, new simha. You build a house, new simha. You buy a new car, simha. When, where there's newness, there is simha. But according to that standard, how much newness could you have in your life? I mean, how many new things could happen to you? You get married hopefully once in a lifetime. <laughs> so that's one. Maybe Shiva Brachot, so you get tired. You have children. Be'ezrat Hashem, you have children, many children. But even if you had 10 children, 12 children, 15 children, okay, that's 15. How many houses are you going to build? How many cars are you going to buy? I mean, how many days of Simha are you going to have in your life? If Simha only comes with new things, we're all in trouble. <coughs> because most of the things that we do every day, we've been doing them for the last 50 years. They're not new. But that's precisely what we're talking about today. Are you capable of being a matahil on something that was already there? Are you enjoying today's bread or are you eating the same bread that you've been eating for 50 years? There is the difference if you're enjoying life or not. If you take the bread that you're eating today and say, well, I've been eating this for a long time, so I'm just copying the last 50 years of eating bread, then the bread is not enjoyable. It's not a matheil bread. It's not a beginner bread. It's the copy bread. When you woke up this morning, and you assume you're going to wake up because you woke up also yesterday, and you woke up last week, and you've been waking up for 50 years, so nothing special. Of course it's not going to bring you some hot to wake up in the morning. Why would it? It's something you are basically been doing for a long time. But what if today was the first day you woke up? What if today was a matheel? What if it was a new day? And it really is a new day. It's not really a copy of yesterday. Because you woke up yesterday, that doesn't mean you have to wake up tomorrow. We think we feel entitled because we get used to things. But that feeling of entitlement not only makes us selfish, but it makes us lack simha. Feeling entitled isn't just ugly. 
it doesn't allow us to be a matheel. You see, if I slept last night thinking, Hashem, thank you. I appreciate my life. You did great for me. I really don't expect anything. Good night. Shavua Tov. Give all the greetings. It's over. And you wake up in the morning. Oh, wow. It's a new day. It's so awesome. And then you're able to even go to the bathroom. Whoa. It's awesome. You know why we don't think it's awesome to say Asher Yatsa? Because we've been doing that for 50 years. Big deal. Not new. Now I open my eyes. Not new. I have my eyes for 60 years. Come on. You can never have simha in your life the way it's supposed to be unless you figure out how to make a matheel, a starter, a beginner of things that have been done before. And let's talk about relationships for a moment. Hashem says to Am Yisrael, Ve'erastich li le'olam. I want to be engaged to you forever. Forever we're going to be engaged. Sounds nice, but when you think about engagement forever, it doesn't sound so great. Engagement forever? The goal is not engagement. You got to get married. Someone who's engaged forever is the biggest curse. They're stuck in a place they have nowhere to go. Hashem says, I want to be engaged to you forever. Why are you cursing us? I want to be married to you. I don't want to be stuck engaged to you. There's one thing about being engaged that is so special in a relationship, and that is that it's new. It's matheel. That matheel element in the engagement period brings tremendous simha and strength and energy into each one of the couple. What makes engagement so exciting? Because it's new, because it's matheel. You know what happens after you get married? You're married. You become a copy machine. The same thing. I know you already. We spoke yesterday, I know. It's the same story. The same person, the same annoying things, the same great thing. It's just the same thing. Today is a copy of yesterday. A marriage that's a copy of yesterday will never reach Simha. For a marriage to be real, Simha, it has to be Matheel. It has to be engaged forever. Not literally engaged, but the Matheel of engaged forever. Just because you were married yesterday, that doesn't give you any entitlement for tomorrow. You wake up another day and you're so blessed with what you have. And it's new because it is new. It's not fake new. It really is new. You just assume that it happened yesterday so you're entitled. But you're not. That's why we bless the Hatan and Kala. Sameach tesamach. 
Ra'im Ahuvim. We bless them to have Simha. Sameyah Tesamah. To keep always bringing new Hathala into their marriage. It doesn't mean you have to buy every day a new piece of furniture. Sometimes we think that by buying things, that's going to bring the newness. And sometimes it does. Sometimes you have to bring some external things. Sometimes you need. But the real newness has to be from within you. A person has to look at their spouse for the first time. They have to appreciate them for the first time. They have to see their children for the first time. Newness brings happiness. Copying doesn't produce anything special. We'll just finish off. brings a beautiful example of this in life maybe I told you this once before I once told a group of 6th graders that I was a miracle worker I, got, I convinced them after a while they heard I'm a big rabbi I told them I can do miracles this is many years ago I don't do this anymore I convinced them, I do remember, they told me, like, what? The sixth graders, you have to imagine. I said, I can bring people who die alive. I can bring to Hayat Amiti. I said, Rabbi, I can't do that. No such thing. I said, I can do it. I'm a big rabbi. I can do it. So I'll prove it to you. If you want, I'll take you on a trip. We'll do it. No, no, come on. Now they're thinking, what? You think on a trip? So we made a trip. We're going to go to the cemetery. (laughs) And we're going to uh, revive some people. Okay, this is a a real story. I'm telling you what happened. So I'm going to take you guys. We'll go. I'll show you. What what do you. So we got on the bus. And uh, I told them, guys, there's a change of plans. I said, "Ah, we know it. Listen, I said, I'm too big of a rabbi just to do something simple like that. <laughs> just to revive a dead person, wow. big deal. I said, I'm going to do something much bigger. So then these guys are going, they're going crazy. We went to a field of wheat, which I know wouldn't impress you, and it didn't impress them. A field of wheat is so much more impressive. Wheat kernels that go into the ground are buried in the ground. One kernel in the ground is buried. It decays under the ground. There's nothing left of it. From that wheat kernel comes stalks of wheat. Not just one revival, Thousands 
from one kernel. Who would have imagined that a kernel goes into the ground and comes back a thousand times? Fresh kernels? Awesome, tasty kernels? What's a bigger miracle? Kernels that come from one kernel or raising one dead body from the floor? Obvious. How come we don't get excited by it? Because it happens all the time. When things happen all the time, it sucks our simcha of life. When we see a piece of bread, if we really live a life of newness, the beracha of hamotzi would come with tears. That something so beautiful came to my table today. What a piece. We don't have to eat the most expensive foods, the most simple things in life become so enjoyable and so precious. The food that we eat, the breath that we take, the relationships that we have, the marriage that we have, the mitzvot that we do. Every life just changes. Being a matheil is truly one of the big steps to a life of simcha. Be your own person. Don't copy people. Don't copy yourself. Become a matheil every day of your life. And you will truly live simcha always in whatever you have and whatever you do. Baruch Amen ve'amen.